Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So as we started this series, we talked about depending on the Holy Spirit of God, uh, being able to lean into the Spirit for our guidance, being able to lead into the Spirit for our teaching day to day, be able to lead into the Spirit so that we're, we're doing as the Lord would call us to do. And in that leaning, we have to understand what we're bringing to the table. What we're bringing to the table is our backgrounds and our baggage and our experiences and our personality. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What is it that the fruit of God produces in us? And then we're showing it and comparing that to what our vices may be depending on our personality type. And so what we're doing is walking through this uh, using the Enneagram model. It's just a model that's out there. Uh, for personalities, and we're really showing that, wow, um, we all naturally kind of carry part of uh, that, 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 that Imago Dei. We carry part of God's Spirit with us, and, and we reflect that, but we also have some part of that, uh, that list of nine that we don't really attach to so easily. And what could happen is, because we naturally gravitate in our flesh towards some, some good stuff that God built in our DNA and God gave us to reflect his image, we might gravitate to that and say, well, I'm good. I look at that list. I'm hitting on a couple of those. And so we back off from leaning into the spirit and letting the spirit lead us. But if we would understand what we're working with when it comes to our personality, we're better equipped then to say, you know what, Lord, I I, I want to have the fullness of the spirit. I want the fullness of the fruit of the spirit. And so I'm going to come to you, Lord, and I'm going to admit my weaknesses. I'm going to admit my broken spots. And I'm going to ask you, Lord, would you fill me up? Would you help me stay connected to you, grow in you, lean in you? Now listen, as we talk through this each week, it's interesting and fun to say, okay, which, which number am I or which personality type fits me best? But if you're not careful, you'll kind of turn off the others and you'll, you'll think, well, those don't matter as much to me because I'm not that number. Um, I want to encourage you with something. Uh, all of us have access uh, to each of these numbers, or at least most of them. When I sit down and I review uh, people's Enneagram profiles or personality profiles, and I use it as a discipleship tool, I basically say, this is the answer. These are the answers you gave. There are resourceful, meaning following God-type answers, and there are non-resourceful behaviors, meaning following the flesh answers. And so I use it to help people understand, here's where the, the picture that you gave of where you are today. And so it's no judgment. It's no pretense, no putting people down. It's just saying this is the picture um, that you have. And so if you're to be filled with the Spirit of God, these other numbers up here have something to offer. And so for one thing, I want you to understand that all of this weaves in and out and, and it be the fullness of the Spirit of God, uh, all of this matters. And so listening and learning from everybody's personality um, is extremely helpful. And then secondly, I want to um, remind you or encourage you today that we have a tendency to use these types of things as swords or shields. Swords or shields. So what will happen is once somebody uh, who doesn't know what they're talking about, they, they'll just assume, oh, well, you're a this number, and so I can tell you all about your life. And that's not true. You, you can't just say that, that I'm this type of person simply because my, my personality maybe has a bent in one direction or another. That doesn't leave room for the spirit. That doesn't leave room for discipleship. That doesn't leave room for me to make better decisions than my flesh would make. And so don't use 
um, understanding the Enneagram um, about each other or understanding personality types, don't ever use that stuff as a sword to hurt someone. Um, simply what it should do is just open a little bit of a window and then you can ask curious questions. You can say, oh, you, you're, you, you, it says that you tend to come from this perspective. How do you see that true? How do you see that not true in your life? And that allows you to get to know people because at the end of the day, our goal is to love. And I can't love you if I'm not willing to know you. If I prejudge you and just say, well, I, I got a little number on a score so I know who you are, it's so foolish of me. So don't ever use this kind of information as a sword. And then secondly, don't use it as a shield either. Uh, I've heard a lot of people that they, they laugh and giggle nervously when they get their uh, personality profile back. And then they go, oh, well, that's just the way that I am. And it's like, no, that's a shield. You're, you're basically saying, I don't have to grow. I don't have to change. I don't have to, to adjust. I tell you what, when you're in relationship, when you're in community, when you get in a relationship with another human being, uh, you will have a choice to put down or lift up your shield. Because all of your flaws are going to be exposed. They didn't need the test. If you know anybody in this room, a maid, a partner, a best friend, they didn't need an Enneagram test to tell them what it told them because they know you. But here's the thing. Don't just put up a shield and say, well, that's who I am. But rather say, you know, yes, that's, that's from which I start life. That's where, how I approach life. That's how I view things. But I want to be given over to the Spirit of God. And so you lay down your shield, you lay down your sword, and you just say, Lord Jesus, would you live and move and have your way in me because of the family upbringing, childhood wounds, all of these things, my, my experiences in life and how people have treated me. I do have a perspective with which I approach life. And that's okay. But it's as I engage in that perspective, am I allowing the Holy Spirit to lead me to action? Personality is simply an indicator of motivation, not necessarily behavior. And it's really a matter of when I have that flesh motivation, am I giving the Spirit control over that? So you might have an inkling to judgment. You might have an inkling to running wild. You might have an inkling to, to curiosity and keeping to yourself. You might have an inkling to emotional outburst. But whatever personality type you might uh, start with in the flesh, you can surrender all of it to the Spirit of God. And that's what discipleship is. It's saying, Lord Jesus, given what I have to work with, lead me. And so in this next uh, process, we've walked through up until today, one, two, three, and four. And so today we come to the five. Um, the five uh, starts our journey, each of the triads up here. Um, go back to that slide. This, each of the triads, you have eight, nine, and one. These are all in what's called the gut triad. They kind of feel life hit them. They have high intuition and they deal with a festering anger. How they deal with it is different, but that's kind of their vibe. The two, three, and the four, uh, these are your more emotional center. These are your uh, feeling center people. And they really want, they need to feel approval. That's their primary drive. Again, they all hit it differently. They do it differently. But that's their underlying drive. Then we move into 
the, the thinking center, which is the five, six, and the seven. And really, they process or don't process, as you'll learn, uh, mostly through thinking. And so uh, each of them handle it differently, and this is a kind of a fear-based group. Um, what do I do when life is bad? And so each of them hit it differently. Now, when you look at, at uh, all nine personalities, you have the, the head, the heart, the gut. Some would even argue uh, mind and body and soul. But all of that is in there, and we're made in, in God's image in this way. So the type five, let me tell you about the type five a little bit. The type five uh, is one that is detached and observing um, to maintain boundaries and privacy. The hidden struggle is to the fear of going deep with others and coming to rely on their affections, putting their independent, independence at risk. The belief that my needs would be too in, intense or harmful if I openly express them to others. The feeling that the competency and self-reliance I work so hard to maintain will become compromised if I enter into deep relationships. The fives tend to be uh, uh, engineers, not necessarily always by trade, but that's the brain um, that, that tends to be in a five. They're thinkers. Uh, fives are deeply private individuals who live most of their lives in their mental space. They enjoy exploring how the world works, and they're able to deconstruct reality before putting it back together. They often position themselves in the role of observer, but they're mentally quite active while in this role. They may struggle to share and to translate their thoughts out to the rest of the world, and they could come across as socially awkward or even disinterested. They have a tendency to compartmentalize and separate aspects of their lives and their emotions. So the, the five, when you meet a five, they really, there's a lot cranking in here. The fives are um, the E.F. Hutton, I would argue. Like they're the, the person that they may not talk a ton. They may not give a lot of, of, uh, of their opinions and throw them around. They don't believe in chit-chat that way. Um, the five is a, a very thoughtful person that, that processes uh, deeply. And when they speak, They've already thought about um, what they're going to say. And so they're very much worth uh, listening to when you have uh, fives in your, your space. So the type five, uh, the rest fruit, vice, and stretch fruit. The type five, the quiet specialist or observer. Um, at rest, they are naturally uh, patient people. Um, the five is nev never in a rush to hardly do anything. Um, and, and they don't mind telling you. And too bad <laughs> if, you, if you want them to. Um, and so the, the five is, is um, they have a natural rest fruit of patience, meaning they don't have to work very hard in order to simply be uh, present and patient. Now, the vice is avarice, or in a word you might uh, understand better, greed. Um, avarice is kind of a, a hoarding of uh, information, time, space, emotional energy. They won't really give that out a whole lot. They'll kind of keep that to themselves and protect themselves. And then the stretch fruit, the fruit that it's, it's going to be them relenting to the Holy Spirit to see, is kindness. Uh, many times when you meet fives, uh, they can come across a little harsher on the outside maybe than other personality types would. Um, but it's not because they're necessarily angry or they don't like you. It's just that it's, it takes energy to pour themselves out. And so instead of giving up what's inside, they would rather hoard that, hold it close to the vest, and be able to participate with others at their time, at their leisure but they don't want to be demanded or pulled on very much. And so you might look at that, some of you social types, you might look at that and say, man, what's wrong with you? And they're like, what's wrong with you? You talk too much. Like, <laughs> back up, you know? I don't, I don't want to share all this right now. 
And as an observer and as a thinker, um, they're processing. They're pulling away from the group, but it's not because they dislike the group. It's just that that's where they get their space. That's where they feel uh, most at home. And so the strengths of the five uh, are, are some of these. There's plenty of others, but they're thinkers. They're innovators. They're observers. They're specialists, experts. Uh, they're reflective people. They're truth-seeking. Um, they're witty, uh, often pithy in their responses. Uh, they're reasonable people. If you can break down a good uh, argument with logic, they'll, they'll process with you. Uh, they're clear, they're informed, um, and they're understanding. And so fives, uh, again, they, they're very good at um, listening and understanding what's going on around. The weaknesses, because of, like I said, they pull back and they tend to hoard uh, information and energy and people uh, in their life, limited people. They're non-resourceful fives. If they're, if they're not healthy, if they're not given over the Spirit, they're often detached from others. They can be cold, contemptuous, reclusive, abstract, hidden, and fearful of their feelings. They really won't even want to go there uh, with you or even themselves sometimes. Fives can often protect themselves by over-preparing uh, for a fear of not being adequately equipped. The worst thing for a five is to feel like they didn't know something. Something hit them sideways, um, and so they, they, they want to get prepared. And so they'll, they'll churn and churn and churn uh, inside to be sure that they're prepared. over uh, often prefer very few close friends with whom they're, they're honest about their lives. Uh, fives often spend so much time analyzing life that they have to actually work to live life. Um, some of us, we have no problem just soaking up the day. And when we get around to a personality type like the seven, which is in the same uh, triad uh, as the five, the five, six, and sevens, they all have this, this same thinking sense but when we get to the seven, you're going to see the way that they handle problems and challenges is to say, they don't exist. <laughs> and so that's how they handle them. Uh, but the fives, they handle them by overthinking and over-wrestling uh, and limiting their contact with you and me. So that way they can make sure that they stay in a good, safe, sound space. Uh, the six, by the way, they're next week, loyal leader, uh, loyal, loyal type, friendly type, um, but they're also fear, fearful of what could go wrong. And so they're always kind of looking for the escape hatch. The vice of the five is, is avarice. The vice of the five is avarice, or what you might call uh, greed. Enough is never enough for the five who is driven to fill the emptiness that they would feel inside. Fives are inclined to hoard and to hold on uh, to compensate for their fear of, of not being enough. They never want to feel like that they're not enough in a situation. So they'll, they'll hold on. You never know when you might need it. Hoarding comes in many forms, but it might be expressed in holding back the sharing of their time, their knowledge, uh, or their resources. The greatest avarice for a five is, is often not sharing themselves with others. The greatest thing that a five will hoard away from the rest of the world is themselves. The iso this isolation is a way that they can ensure that they're not drained or overtaxed by the behavior, the attitude, or the opinions of others. So essentially, if this world is chaos around me, and I'm trying to think of the best way to stay sane in all of this chaos. Me pulling back from you, me creating a little buffer zone, me creating a little distance, me engaging when I wish to, allows me to keep my world in one piece. We live in an age where, especially social media and, and things like that, fives aren't going to be your people that get on there and just like, 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 you know, here's a picture of myself. They don't, <laughs> they, they like the space. They, they like the distance. You, you do your thing, you enjoy it, but don't bring your drama into my world. And hey, I'll benefit you. I won't bring you any of my drama. How's that? And so the five feels very good by having a little gap there. And so here's the thing. 
what we need to know, those of us that might be a little more social engaged and we live off of energy and all that, we need to learn how to respect those boundaries of a five. And not always believe that they're, they're angry at us or they don't like us or they hate us because they want their space. It's just that they want energy. I'm hearing amens. So they just want their, they just want their energy and they, they don't want to be overtaxed. By the way, if you've taken the, the personality type through my type at CaptivateChurch.com and we send you a link, when, you, when you've taken that, you get back a, a, a score sheet. It doesn't just say here's your number. It also walks through and tells you the percentages that all of the numbers impact you. So you might be sitting here with one personality type, but your five number might be like 80%. And so you sit there and say, well, there's a five. That's, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. Let me tell you, if you're an eight, you go to five whenever you're upset. You go to five. When you're stressed and you're not getting your way, and you, you go to five. You pull back and you say, forget you guys then. So all of us uh, have a tendency to... Um, move around the personality index depending on what's going on. You just have a primary place you start. So be careful about judging uh, anybody else. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The virtue of the five. Kindness. Or, or gentleness. Gentleness is one of the greatest acts of generosity. It's the giving of uh, attentive, available energy of loving, open, available observation and support to another. It's the complete opposite of a cold, aloof observation. Others deplete energy when you spend time with them, but gentleness works in the opposite way. It fills others with energy. A sermon for the five. Let's go over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I'm going to tell you about this uh, guy named Nicodemus. Again, the way we're doing this is it's a sermon to a particular number, but it doesn't mean it's only for a particular personality number. Nicodemus first visits with Jesus, which we're going to show today, um, one night to discuss his teaching. The second time he's mentioned, he reminds his colleagues in the Sanhedrin that the law requires a person to be heard before they're being judged. And the last time we see Nicodemus, he appears after the crucifixion of Jesus to help provide the customary embalming of spices. And he assists Joseph of Arimathea in preparing the body of Jesus for burial. These encounters, when you watch them move along, you see first uh, a, a thoughtful Sanhedrin, a thoughtful person, a member of the ruling council. He would have been one of the top 70 lawyers um, for either the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees. In his case, the Pharisees. They believed in resurrection after the dead but he was coming in and and what you see is you see this this wheels turning this is a, a a legal mind a thoughtful mind and so when he approaches jesus he's trying to come to jesus um, through a, a sense of logic and reasoning and rationale and when you watch jesus answers i don't know about you but if you ever read the bible and you saw jesus answers and you just get frustrated with jesus can we be real about that nobody else just the pastor great my preacher said he gets frustrated with Jesus. That's not what I said. I said some of the answers can feel frustrating if you relate to the guy asking the question. But no, that's kind of Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus and he's asking what most of us would probably agree is a fairly reasonable question. Now, 
You know what we do in our modern day when we read through Scripture? We kind of interpret Scripture based on what we already know. And then we look at a guy like Nicodemus and we say, oh, you're an idiot. No, that's a reasonable question, what he asked. Let's dive in and look at what this conversation goes down. Again, this, 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 I'm coming intellectually, I'm trying to understand, I'm observing this thing that's happening around, and I want to get to know you, uh, what you're about, Jesus. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's, he's sitting in, and as far as we know, we don't have any other text. We've got this guy coming and finding Jesus under the cloud of darkness. Now people have, you go through, read commentaries, and people try to, to, to pretend they understand why it happened by night. I have no idea, honestly. There, there are people that, well, night means darkness and sin, and so he's just trying, no, I, you don't know that. The text doesn't tell us that. But what it does know is that uh, by night, it looks like he was able to get some time with Jesus. It very well could have just been that, that he, he was like a five and was like, look, I don't need all this noise. I just kind of want a one-on-one. And so either way, we don't really know, but he comes to Christ and he begins this conversation. Now, the other problem that, that is presented when you read commentaries is that uh, if he showed interest in Christ, in his position as a Pharisee, he could have gotten a lot of slack from a lot of people um, and maybe even lost his, his entire role. And so that's a theory, but the point is they're all theories. So with Nicodemus, as he's approaching Jesus, he comes by night and he asks them, or he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from, come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do with him. Do you see what he's doing here? He's starting off with a, a propositional formula. He says this, or uh, something to write down. Some approach faith through feelings, other approach through formula. So some of us in this room, we're more logical and more, 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 that's how we do. We need to add it all up. Some of us in this room, we're more emotional. And the idea of jumping in and worshiping the Lord, no big deal. All I need to know is you saved me. But, but some approach through feelings and some approach through a formula. Nicodemus was the one that approached through a fact-finding type of logical way. He approached Jesus as a member of the Sanhedrin, this ruling group of lawyers. And so he leans in and he's like, hey, I think I agree that you come from God. Now let me lay out why. His formulaic approach to Jesus. No one can perform these signs if they were not from God. Jesus, we see you're performing signs. Therefore, you must be from God. And so this, this, this formulaic approach, this mathematical equation to get to God. Now, many of you would say, no, that's crazy. I'm more of a feelings person. I would never try to figure it out. But I promise, in this room, we have nurses and doctors and scientists and people in law. My undergrad was in law. And, I, and we, some of us need things to, like, make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, we don't want a part of it. Some of you are more emotional and you look across the room and you go, how in the world can you not just jump with joy and enthusiasm? Just take it for what it is. God loves you. There's zero wrong with us. And in fact, we really should do better as Christ followers at having a foundation for our faith. We should pick up an apologetics book once in a while and understand the world around us. We should be able to not just say, 
Well, I don't know. There's somebody that went to seminary that understands the defense of the Christian faith. I don't have time. No, we should. We should say there's a lot of people that could meet Christ if I was able to give them some basic answers. And so he's coming and and he's coming in this formulaic way. Now, look, here's what Jesus does. Jesus answered him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. (laughs) Nicodemus. Hold on. Can you imagine having this conversation with Jesus? You're like, Jesus, I think you're from heaven. Like, I saw some signs and wonders you're doing, and, and we're, we're over here. We, 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 we're thinking we can buy into this. And Jesus' reply was, you can't be born again. You can't come into the kingdom unless you're born again. Nicodemus is like, what? So here's what he asks. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? You guys get that picture? That's a disgusting picture. But he's like, it doesn't even make sense. This doesn't follow. It's not logical. This is crazy stuff. Look at Jesus' answer. You know, here, right here, this is when I would have, I'm not God. There's a lot of good reasons. But I would have been like, Okay, let me explain what I mean by born again in a very broken down way. And I have a long, you know, dissertation here and I'll describe it all. Look at what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Don't worry about it. Don't don't marvel over the fact that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What? Jesus' teaching is faith is not a formula or a feeling, but it's a full surrender to the Father. He's coming and he's got this lorry in front of him and he's like, hey, I'm trying to get to know you because I've figured this stuff out. And he's like, let me give you something that's hard to figure out. It's hard to figure out what the Spirit of God does. You can't even figure out how the wind works around you. All you do is get to feel the effects of the wind. And the Spirit of God is similar. The Spirit is not always going to be able to be figured out. And you've got to learn to accept that. It, um, I went to, to cemetery, I mean seminary and when I went there, I use that joke all the time. But, but you go and um, you learn this uh, thing called systematic theology. And it is good to be able to have a defense for your faith, a grounding of your faith, an understanding of the Scriptures, understanding how it all builds and adds. And, and that's good. It's a good idea to have understanding, to have a framework for God. But do you know the problem when we take it too far? We can take that book and we can believe that that book explains God. And when you live your life always trying to explain, you're living your life trying to avoid what Jesus just taught. The Spirit is going to move 
The same way the wind comes and goes and you have no control over it. The Spirit is going to be similar. There are times when Jesus heals people, but He doesn't heal others. There's a time when He feeds four or 5,000 people, and then they come back hungry again and He says, go away. Stuff doesn't make sense. Paul said there are some people that are, some that are made to be vessels of honor. And some vessels are made to be broken. Stuff doesn't make sense. And so when we look and we, we try to understand and we try to frame everything only through our logical lens, we can miss out on the flow of the Spirit of God and some of the things that just aren't going to make sense completely to us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't make sense. But if you have a framework with which you decide how God needs to work, then all of a sudden, your framework is going to be broken from time to time. Or you're going to miss out on a move of God from time to time. And you don't want to do that. And so he comes to them and he's like, hey, don't be worried about where the wind, uh, don't be worried about, I say, born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus meets this formula with a metaphor. Think about how frustrating that would be for a logical fact-finding lawyer to come to Jesus. Say, hey, help me out here. And he starts with a poem. Starts with a metaphor about childbirth and wind. Jesus understands that Nicodemus doesn't understand, so he explains that you've got to be born of the Spirit. Then he goes a, a level further. He tells a person who feels security when they, understand, when they understand things, he tells them a little more than don't worry about it. You can't even explain the wind. Don't try to explain me away. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So he's getting to the punchline of John 3.16. But on his way to get there and on his way to talk about that, He's like, you know what? I want you to seek me out some more. So I'm not going to be blunt, and I'm not going to be in your face, and I'm not going to jot it all down, and I'm not going to hand you a systematic theology book. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you something to think about. Often God draws you close, not through answers, but through questions. Often, have you ever thought about this? Is that when, when you know an answer, when you know in your heart of hearts why something is happening, you don't even go to God. Think about it. When, when you have it all figured out, you don't even go to God. You're just like, okay, that's what God does. But when do you go to God? When do I go to God? God, I don't get this. I don't understand. I pour out and pour out and pour out and love this person. And then they just shoot me an email and they're gone. What? God, I don't understand. I, I don't understand how you, when, when I was uh, 19 years old, 
the most godly young lady in the world that I knew died tragically in a car accident. I don't understand. I don't understand when I was a, 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 da- a father of my daughter was only two years old and I don't understand how we're at St. Joe's and I'm literally as a pastor praying and begging God to take me, not my daughter because she didn't have any oxygen. The doctors are rushing in and there's 10 or 12 people rushing in around my little girl who's two years old and I'm sitting there and I'm like, Lord, take me. If, this, if that's what you're doing today, make it be me. Because I don't understand what you're doing right now. But so many of us, so many of us, we say that we want answers. And Jesus may not be actually interested in just giving you that answer right away. Jesus is most interested in your connection. And so here with Nicodemus, you know what he says. He says, hey, I'm the son of man. The reference to Daniel chapter 7. He's like, hey, go do some homework. You're a smart guy. He goes and then he references Moses lifting up the, the, the snake in the desert. You know what he's telling him? He's like, hey, go back over to Numbers chapter 21 and see how God saved his people. And so along the way, he's giving them more. He's saying, hey, you know what? Long for me. Look for me. Seek after me. I'm going to tell you some stuff, but I want you to pursue me more than anything else. The next two times we see Nicodemus, we have really good reason to believe that he did his homework. Because this inward, potentially, we might call it today a personality of a five, but that's neither here nor there. But this thoughtful, inward thinker who wanted just a one-on-one encounter with Jesus, who has some skepticism, I'm not quite sure, I'm trying to figure all this out. Look what his next two encounters are. In John chapter 7, Jesus is essentially being held up on, on trial. Nicodemus, who had come, gone before him and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and a learning? And learning what he does. You know what just happened? Nicodemus moved from hoarding to helping. He moved from, from being all about himself He moved from just taking advantage of his own position for his own sake to reaching out and speaking up for someone else. You know what you're to do and and I'm to do as a follower of Jesus once we have a little stuff? We're to use it to the benefit of others. One of the changes that happens in the human heart when you give your life over to Jesus Christ is your life isn't your life anymore. Your agenda isn't your agenda. Your goals aren't your goals. You identify with the Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And what you say when you give yourself over to the Lordship of Jesus is you say, whatever is mine is yours. Now Nicodemus, we don't have evidence that in this time he was necessarily a Christ follower. But something's happening in him and his view of Christ to where he says, hey, I'm going to speak up. In front of people. Guess what? I'm going to get involved in the drama of someone else. 
He's starting to go against his own intuition as somebody that might just be sit there to judge and somebody that might be there to correct. Instead, he's like, you know what? I'm going to use my leverage in this moment for the good of someone else. Church, we are a people in a first world nation and the poor of our world, the poor of the, the world that we're around are some of the richest people on the planet. And if you're not necessarily poor, you're in the top few percentile points of all human people alive today. And as a result, you and I, we need to take some cues from Scripture and realize that when I have stuff as a Christian, I don't have stuff. I'm to use it for the good and the benefit of others. Nicodemus could have just sat silent and let everything go down. He could have stayed to himself. He could have kept it internal. He could have just joined in and just said, hey guys, there's 70 of us. I don't want to get involved. But when there's injustice, when the law was being used to hurt Christ, you know, sometimes you just got to get involved. How many of us we know of legitimate needs that we could meet in the lives of others. But we mentally change the channel. We know there's a person that needs a little bit more love. We know there's somebody that needs a little more compassion. We know there's somebody that could use a friend. But we change the mental channel. That doesn't involve me. So Nicodemus starting in, he was kind of like, I don't know, let me try to figure this out. But then along the way, he's like, hey, I'll, I'll step out of my comfort zone. I'll, I'll speak up. And if, 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 if you're a five, this would be huge for you because you move to the, to the eight, the challenging, and you stand in the space and you take care of injustices for others. Nicodemus does this. He, he lives in the space where he says, it's okay, I'll take on some burden from others. And finally, he moves from greedy to giving. Nicodemus in John 19, 39. This is Jesus after he had died. Now let me tell you something. If you were in the Sanhedrin, if you were a religious leader of the day, if you were in this, this space to where you were saying, you know what, I am a God-honoring Jew. You know one thing you would never, ever, 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 ever do? Touch a corpse. You wouldn't get close to a dead body. You talk about being unclean. You talk about being defiled. You talk about being the bottom of the barrel of the bottom of the barrel. You put yourself around a corpse. You talk about being in a position of honor where you're one of the top 70 legal minds. You would never, ever, 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 infinity, ever, get near a corpse. But you see this change in Nicodemus. Something happened at the cross for Nicodemus. It says this in John 19, 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, and about, about 75 pounds of, in weight. 
Here's the encouragement. The one who starts with the formula can and often does find faith. He went from needing to have the prescription. I need to have the formula. Show me the math. And then he comes to the place to where he stands for Jesus, but then he comes to the place to where he sacrifices for Jesus. One of the greatest laws you could break is to touch a corpse. 75 pounds of of aloe and oil and spices. It would have cost a ton of money. Nicodemus started with questions. Jesus left him with more questions. Nicodemus seems to have moved closer to the side of standing with Jesus. And then ultimately, undoubtedly, he came to love Jesus. And he became kind and generous. In this last act of faith, he offered up which would translate today to thousands of dollars. but he saw that there was a need. This Jesus was going in a borrowed tomb and he didn't have burial preparations. And there was a love for him now. And so he asked for the body. They asked for the body of Jesus. And he was a part of burying Jesus in that tomb. That borrowed tomb. If you're a five in the room or you relate to coming at God through logic and reasoning and math, having it all make sense, or maybe you're not even that number, but you go, man, I know what that feels like when life just doesn't make sense. Can I help you today to to look to, to, to Nicodemus and God's work in his life to say, you know, you may not get all of the answers right away from, from Christ. You may not but he may put you on a search for more. It may lead you to some of your best study. I, I, I remember when my friend Annie died when I was 19 in a car accident. This was the most godly young lady I had ever met in my life. And I couldn't make any sense of it all. And I remember getting angry at my best friend. We were working at a, a camp. He was my boss. and I remember getting very angry with him. And I told him, I said, I know all the Christianese. I know how you're going to say, don't even go there. I'm, you're going to tell me these three verses. But none of it matters right now. I lost a great friend. And so through tears, I said, I'm out of this camp, this Christian camp. I just, I can't understand why God would do this. And he said, hey, take the time you need. And I did. I took several days and I went away and I just got alone with the Lord, me and the Scriptures. And it was studying 1 Corinthians 15 and just understanding the resurrection of the dead and understanding that one day we'll all have new life and understanding that this life isn't where it ends. I was able to understand my Lord better. Not because He gave me answers, it was actually because I had this enormous question. And you might be in a place to where you have some enormous questions. And you may not figure out that you can figure out God or plan out everything. You may not understand all of that. But I just want to tell you, whether you're a five or not, bring your question. He's a big enough God. 
And when you search out those answers, at the end of all of those answers, you're going to find Jesus. And when you find Jesus, the author and the perfecter or the finisher, the completer of your faith, then you find life. But in the meantime, here's what we can do. We can give our friends searching for answers some space. We can give them our prayer. We can give them grace. We can give them our love. We can can understand that, you know what, I might come to Jesus more in a feeling sense and you're coming through a formula. That's all right. I might like to be around thousands of people all at once. You might like to be more isolated. That's okay. But at the end of the day, every single answer is going to arrive at the foot of the cross and Jesus. And so I pray that you and I, as we go this week, we would say, Lord, there are places I don't fully have answers. And that's all right. Because as long as I have a question, I'm going to be chasing after you. And that's the greatest gift you could give me. Amen? Let's pray.